Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Okay, so there's a, a lot going on right now, so we're going to have a somewhat abbreviated class, but we're going to give you some good stuff on the Parsha and a little bit on Pesach, and get everyone in the red, ready and in the mood and uh, spiritually on our way and prepared. This Shabbos, we have the privilege of reading Parsha's Mitzoro, which is on page 620 in the Chumash, continuing with the theme of Parsha's Tazria dealing predominantly with the issue of tzara'as, rather than an individual who is experiencing the spiritual leprosy on their skin, the parsha now moves over to the spiritual leprosy being experienced elsewhere. So the beginning of Parsha's Mitzorah tells us the rehabilitation process of the Mitzorah, the person who is stricken with this, uh, with this malady, how the individual finds their way back into the camp, what is the rehab, what is the therapy, what is it they need to do and the whole uh, process of, uh, of uh, purification that includes the shaving and the offerings and coming back in and going to mikvah and so on and so forth. Then the Torah moves over to the laws of tzaras on houses. What happens when you enter the land of Israel and you find a tzaras on one's home? And how is the house purified? What is the process? What is necessary in order to restore the house back to its uh, pure status? And then the Parsha ends off with laws that deal with different bodily emissions that can contaminate and leave a person with the status of being Tomei, of being impure, the law of a Balkeri, and a Zav, and so on, and then a Nida and a Zava. So Tumba can be contracted by contact or being in the same room, or lifting, or even sitting, all different forms of the transmission of Tumba that is external. But then there's an internal tumah, which is when the body generates its own, when the body um, expresses its own, whether it's an emission, a fluid, an illness, whatever the case may be, and it can apply to both men and to women, and an internal manifestation that results in tumah as well, impurity as well, and how that is restored. So let's look at Nige Batim for a moment. It's on page 624 in the article Stone Chumash on the bottom. By the Be'er Shem only more. God spoke to Moshe and Aaron, When you come and enter the land that I am giving to you as an inheritance, I will place tzaras, these laws, this affliction, on your house, on your home, in the land that is your inheritance that I am giving to you. Rashi says, Rashi says something astounding. Imagine you buy a house and you find out, God forbid, it was built with Chinese drywall. So it rots all of the electric, it rots all of the uh, wiring of your home. And you have to absolutely gut your house and start again. Would you consider that a bracha or a klala? Would that be a blessing or a curse? You buy a house and you find out that it is infested with mold. And you have to take everything out of the house, you have to tent the house. Bracha or klala? Of course it's a klala. And yet, and yet, look at Rashi. Pasuk Lamedalet, verse 34. It's great news. When you get to the land of Israel, your homes now will be eligible to be afflicted with tzaras. And that's great news. Why is that great news? Because the previous residents of the land of Kena'an, the Amori, the Amori 
hid in the walls, Bikiros Bateim Kol Arboim Shanasha Yisroba Midbar, when the Jews were wandering in the desert and the inhabitants of the land anticipated their arrival, they hid their wealth, they hid their expensive possessions in the walls of the home. What is the law? How do you purify a home that has been afflicted with saras? You have to empty the home. You have to gut the home. So what's going to happen when you empty and gut the home? What will you discover? All the gold and all the wealth. And therefore, says Rashi, oh, it's a bracha. Great news! When you get into the land of Israel, you're going to discover Nigei Tsaras. Now, that's a very funny reward. Why does one get Nigei Batim? Why does one get Tsaras on their home? So, a number of reasons were given by Chazal why one is afflicted with Tsaras at all. On the body, on their clothing, on their home. The most famous reason for being afflicted on the body, we spoke about it last week, is an individual who speaks Lashon Hara. person who gasps. By the way, the... the rehabilitation process, we're not going to get into these verses, includes the sacrifice, includes bringing birds. You have to bring parim, chayos tahoros. And the commentators say, why birds? What do birds do? They chirp, 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 chirp. And how did you get into trouble? Chirp, 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 right? I have six girls, so I live, I happen to live in a girl's dormitory that has a lot of drama. And I know what the chirping, chirp, 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 chirp is. So, so the rehabilitative process for the mitzorah is to bring birds to be reminded the power of speech again is not to chirp, chirp, chirp indiscriminately, but to be careful with our power of, of words. So Lashon Hara was the cause of tzaras on the body. What's the cause of tzaras on the home? So Chazal tell us it's chemdas mamon, a person who's greedy. A person who's greedy, a person who pursues money inappropriately, a person who's, whose material priorities are out of whack. That individual who is, is greedy and envious and has chemdas mamon, the consequence, the midah keneged midah, is tzara'as on their home. So why would God reward this person when they get to the land of Israel that their home will have tzara'as, you break down the wall, and they'll discover, lo and behold, the wealth the gold and silver that the Amori had hidden the walls. Is that really appropriate reward for somebody whose whole spiritual ailment was envy and greed and chemdas mamun? It doesn't make sense. How is that good news? And why is it the appropriate reward for the person who was suffering from chemdas mamun? So the Mepharshim give a beautiful, beautiful explanation. And they say the following. What's the process the Torah here delineates for the individual tzaras on their home? The owner has to empty all of their possessions and lay them out on the front yard. Now on the one hand, it's terribly embarrassing. It's filled with shame. The neighbors see, not that you had Chinese drywall or mold, but they know. Why did you have to empty your home? Why must it go through this process? Because of tzaras, because of your own failure and shortcomings. So on the one hand, it is punitive, it's embarrassing, it's shameful, and one learns a harsh lesson. But on the other hand, they explain, there's something very, very powerful, that the person empties all the possessions inside their home and then dismantles their home brick by brick and stone by stone. Because what happens to this person? As they go through that process, 
as they go through that exercise, they discover a silver lining right under their nose. They discover that though they had chemdas mamam, though they were greedy and envious and constantly pursuing, trying to keep up with the Joneses and their house be as nice and decorative and fashionable and new and remodeled as the neighbor and the car be as current and have all the luxuries as the neighbor and to have the flat screen TV as large as the neighbor and to have all the silver and gold and jewelry and possessions and kitchen as nice as the neighbor the person who's constantly looking at the neighbor by going through the exercise of emptying the contents of their home will discover what they had all along. The positions that they owned, that they had neglected. They'll be forced to realize when they disassemble their home what they already had. So it's a very powerful exercise. And that indeed is a bracha. That indeed is a great bracha. And it's the exact answer to the person with chemdas mamam. The person who had envy and jealousy and greed should look at what they have. Ezehu Ashir, Hasameach Bechelka. Who's wealthy? Somebody who's grateful and appreciative and happy with what they already have. You know, if you define your happiness by what you don't have, you'll never ever be happy. Because there'll always be more that you don't have. Even Donald Trump, I'm not commenting on him politically. You know, but... He's always dissatisfied. Forbes, when they put out their list, and they use the exact same formula to determine all of the wealthy billionaires. And every year, they list his worth, and every year he comes out and blasts them and rips them and says, it's ridiculous, he's worth three times as much. I think he says he's worth 11 billion. They say he's worth 5 billion. Let me ask you, is it so shabby to be worth 5 billion? <laughs> is 5 billion really an embarrassment? A source of shame? Nebuch? An underachiever, an icewarf, a reject, only five billion. So you could have five billion dollars, but you're in such pain. How could the magazine say you only had five billion dollars? So if your happiness is defined by what you don't have, if your happiness is defined by what you don't have, you'll never be happy. And if your happiness is determined by what you already have, you'll always be happy because you always have something. So the individual's house is stricken, empties it. Not because, oh, the reward is what he found in the walls. The reward is what he found in the walls, meaning within the walls of his home, his own possessions, her own possessions. When you empty them and review them and count them and see them and reflect on them, you realize what you had and what was under your nose all along. That's the first shot. I want to give you a second shot. A second interpretation is that by emptying the walls of your home and by dismantling your home and deconstructing your home brick by brick, what else do you realize? You realize that your home is not what defines you, or your house, I should say, is not what defines you. And you learn the difference between a house and a home. It's interesting, and here's the Pesach connection. It's interesting that the Torah's account of Yetzirah Mitzrayim Whenever the Torah recounts and recalls our leaving Egypt, it refers to the concept of a bias. Over and over again, think about it for a minute. The word bias appears, in fact, in the section dealing with Pesach, in Va'era Bo B'Shalach, the term bias appears no less than 12 times. The very name of the holiday that you're all dreading, although it's amazing and filled with simcha and joy and I can't wait, I'm sure you can't as well. The very name of the, ha- of the holiday derives that a Kosh Baruch was Pasach, 
He passed over the the Batim, the homes of Bnei Yisrael. The Torah contrasts striking the firstborn Egyptians, but he saved the Torahites, the Jewish Batim, the homes. Even the Korban Pesach is is designated when the Torah gives us this mitzvah. Torah says, "Se levesavos, se lebayis." A lamb for each father's bias, a lamb for the entire bias. So no less than 12 times we have this word over and over again, from the name of the holiday to the core central observance of the holiday, the Korban Pesach, it over and over again is described as a bias, a mitzvah about a bias, an experience we're commemorating about a bias, an evening about the bias. What is a bias? Translate the word bias. So the Tolna Rebbe, the Tolna Rebbe explains that a bias is not a house. A bias is a home. What's the difference between a house and a home? A house is the physical structure within, within which I live. The house has square footage and features and dimensions and design. It's the bricks and the mortar and the wood and the cement that form the dwelling that protect me from the elements. That's a house. A home is not physical. A home are the people that I live with, the relationships that I nurture and experience, the memories that I form, the conversations that I have, the guests that I host. A home is what happens in the house. The Gemara tells us that Rabbi Yossi never referred to his wife as Ishti, my wife, but he referred to her as Besi, my home. He didn't refer to her as Besi, my house, she sweeps and she vacuums and she does the laundry and she cleans and she makes dinner. She's my house. That's not what he meant. He meant something so complimentary, so affectionate. Not she's my house, but in the immortal words of Billy Joel, she's my home. She's my home. What does that mean, she's my home? It means she is the matriarch, she is the mother, she nurtures the memories, the experiences, the relationships, all that happens here. The Chizkuni says... Batim, bias, refers to, not wife, but children. And so the difference between a bias, the difference between a home and a house. A house is the external, the feature, the, the, the physical dimensions and the physical materials and the square footage. The home is what happens within. Pesach is the holiday of recognizing that difference. That word is used over and over and over. By the way, what did we do right after Pesach? We left Egypt. And we wandered through the desert, and what did we live in? We lived in Sukkot. And I think the essence of the holiday of Sukkot is an extension, a continuation of that theme. You live in a diras arai rather than a diras keva. You go outside and live in a flimsy hut to remember. It doesn't matter what you're living in. It matters with whom you're living. If you could take your family, your friends, and have those meals and conversations, you could live anywhere. Who cares if you've got canvas or lattice or wood walls? Who cares if you've got tzchach that you can see through in the rain? Who cares? As long as you're with the people you love. What matters is your home, not your house. So Sukkot is the extension, the continuation of this theme that begins with Pesach, where the Jewish people, as we're formed and forged as a nation, are imbued with this important sense that what matters most is the bias. This holiday is all about so what's happening, come back to our Parsha, what's happening here in our, in our Parsha? So the individual 
who uh, goes through this uh, affliction of tzaras on their home has to empty their home and dismantle their house. Has to empty their house and dismantle their house. And I'd like to suggest the reason, in fact, that's a bracha, the besura Torah. What's the good news of doing that? When you do that, all of a sudden you realize that the flat screen TV doesn't matter, and the you know the the jewelry collection doesn't matter, and the gadgets don't matter, and the square footage don't matter. You know what matters? The people. That home matters, not the house. So in fact, the the response is exactly mida keneged mida, the way we react to the home being afflicted. I'll give you one last connection between Pesach and Parshas Mitzorah, which doesn't often happen, by the way. Only in a leap year where you have a second Adar, normally, normally Parshas Tzav is Shabbos HaGadol. It's unusual to have Parshas Mitzorah, so we got to milk it for all it's worth. So I'll give you one more connection. I'm going to speak about the Shabbos, Shabbos HaGadol. Very excited. I've got great material for the Shabbos. i got good stuff. Good stuff. Can't wait. When you have good stuff, you just can't wait to unload it. It's good. Good stuff. So, there is a Yehi Ratzon. We're all going to do Badikas Chametz next Thursday night. We're going to search our house. That's the topic of my Shabbos Agadol Drasha. Searching for Chametz and discovering your true self. The Jewish life of essentialism. You don't know what that means, but I'm going to explain it to you. Jewish essentialism. So we search our house. And we all know when you're searching the home, searching the house, you're looking for the physical Chametz, but Chametz is symbolic as well. So the Chidar of Chaim Yosef David Azulai wrote a Yehi Ratzon to be recited on, at night after you finish Padikas Chametz. And listen to his Yehi Ratzon. Yehi Ratzon Hashem I'm grateful to Rabbi Eli Belazan for pointing this out to me. Yehi Ratzon Hashem May it be your will, God. Shetizakenu, give us the merit. Lasur ulechapes. Lasur is like the beginning of Parsha Shlach. They went to investigate the land. To investigate, ulechapes, to surge. Binigei batei hanefesh. In the nigei bate hanefesh, to search the negayim, the tzaras within the house of our soul, asher noalnu baatzas yitzreinu hara, utezakeinu lashuv b'tshuva shleim malafanecha. We are looking for the nigei batim in our home and in our soul. So, essentially, walking through our house for bedikas chametz for the chida is similar to the experience of a person who had nigei batim, of realigning our priorities of not being greedy, of remembering what matters is a home, not a house, of being samech bechelka with the possessions that we have. And it's reflecting on what are the blemishes, where is the leprosy in my soul, in my priorities and values that need to be, that need to be repaired. Okay, that's Nigei Batim. Let's go back now to the beginning of the Parsha, Matzora. A few more thoughts, and I told you we have an abbreviated Parsha class today. So go back to the beginning of the Parsha, to Matzora. So, what's the process? How does the mitzvah become? How does the mitzvah become pure? So, the first verse by the Be'er Shema Moshe Leimor, Perik Yudalad Pasuk Aleph, page six hundred and twenty in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. By the Be'er Shema Moshe Leimor, Zostia Torasa Mitzvah Biyom Taraso. This is the law of the mitzvah on the day that he becomes purified. Vehuva El Hakohen. He is brought to the Kohen, and then it says. The Kohen leaves the camp and the Kohen goes to see the Tzaras and the Kohen tells him, okay, it's time. I see the development, the healing of your blemish and you're now eligible for rehabilitation to come back into the camp. So first of all, there's a contradiction. But Huvayla Kohen sounds like he's brought to the Kohen. 
And then Vyatsah Kohen, the Kohen goes out to him. Which is it? Is he brought to the Kohen? Is the Kohen brought to him? But the Kliyakar asks a more fundamental question. Ask the Kliyakar, Hakasav Karu Mitzora, Mashmashu Hudayin Mitzora. The verse calls him a Mitzora, which sounds like he is still in the status of a Mitzora. He has that title. How can you say on the day of his being purified if he's still called a Mitzorah? Is he in remission or not? If he's in remission, he's not a Mitzorah. If he's a Mitzorah, why are we describing this on the day of Yom Ta'araso? And how can we say this is the day of his being purified before the Kohen has declared that he is healed? It is the Kohen's declaration that begins the purification process. So how can you describe it as a day of purification if the Kohen has not made that declaration? It says he's brought to the Kohen. What is he, in handcuffs? Shackled? Kidnapped? What is he brought to the Kohen? It sounds like it's against his will. So the Kliyakar asks a litany of questions here. How can you call it the day of purification if he's not yet purified? He's still called a Mitzorah. And how can you call it the day of purification if the Kohen has not yet made the declaration that begins the purification? And why does it say that he's brought as if against his will? He doesn't go on his own volition? And why does it say he's brought when it also says the Kohen goes out? So the Kliyakar asks all of these questions. And he gives the following fantastic answer. As the Kliyaka references, as he explained earlier last week's Pasha, Tsaras results in well known um, indiscretions. The name of the affliction is Tsaras. Tsaras is the disease, the individual. Who has it is the Mitzora. Kiloshan Mitzora Motzi Ra Shemotzi Kol Ra Aso Hanisteres Bekirbo El Hachutz Legalos Ra Aso Bekahal. Why? So the name of the disease is Saras. The person who has it is Mitzora. Why is the person who has it has his own name? Right? Lo Aleinu Rachman Letzlan. God forbid somebody has cancer. It's the disease, but we don't have a name for the person with cancer. They have the disease of cancer. They don't. They're not. There's no title. So here you have the disease is Saras, but we even have a name for the person with it, which is a Mitzorah. A Mitzorah. Why do we have a name? So the Kliyakar in last week's parsha, and he's continuing this explanation here, says, word Mitzorah means Motzi Ra. So the classic explanation of Motzi Ra is that this person spoke Ra. They spoke gossip. They spoke negatively about someone else. The Kliyakar says, no. The Motzi Ra means, you know, you have, kind, you have people who on the outside look beautiful. On the outside seem dignified. On the outside seem noble. But inside, in their core, they're rotten. And it takes the wrong incident to reveal that. They lose their cool. They go crazy. They become ruthless in business. You, sometimes in life, someone you knew for many, many, many years, you experience an incident where you see what's really in their core. What they're really made of. What they're really all about. This person was Motsi Ra. The person who spoke this way revealed the Ra that's really inside. They're Motsi Ra. They reveal, they expose, they bring out the rottenness in their core that's really there all along. And so on. 
שנילו חכמי הרופא מלבקש לו תרופה, ואם כן, בהכרח יושב על ליבו אחותי, ועושה מדרכו רע, ונגע שם האבון שהוא נוגע בכובד שמיים כביכול, ובכובד הבריאות. זה כלי יקר דבר אבל אני רוצה להגיע למה שהוא אומר כאן. What happens at the end? A person becomes so corrupt, so rotten, so ostracized, so lonely that they realize, I got to go see the rabbi. I got to go see the coin. I got to learn how to be a better person. Because my isolation and my being ostracized is not because I'm a leper. It can't be healed with traditional medicine or non-traditional medicine. This is a spiritual malady. I need a spiritual mentor. So they don't go to the spiritual mentor on their own volition. The reason it says, Vihuva, says the Kliyakar is, they are dragged there. Had they gone to begin with, a person who would have come to Shir, come to Shul, listen to the words of Chazal, gone to hear Aaron coin. If they heard the lessons and values of our tradition, they'd know. You don't speak negatively. You don't criticize. You don't condemn. You don't hurt other people. You don't destroy with Lashon Hara. Ours is, Oiv Shalom Verodiv Shalom. Aaron taught us a life of loving peace and pursuing peace, of Dirachei and Darachei Noam. That's we know. If you sang every Shabbos when you put the Torah away, you'd know that ours is a Torah of pleasantness. This person neglected to learn, to come, to listen. So now, Vihuva El HaKohen. After all, when it's all said and done, they are dragged, almost kicking and screaming, because of the malady they're suffering, and the only solution or remedy is now to go listen and to go to the Kohen. And that's what the Kliyakar says. And that's why, even though he's still the Mitzorah, it's called the day of his purification. Because it's the first day of the rest of his life. Why? Because he realizes the answer and the solution are not with the doctor or the acupuncturist. The answer and the solution are not by having more money or more greed or more Lashnara. The answer and the solution are returning to my spiritual roots and starting again, going back to basics and being a good person. And so even before he's rehabilitated, even before the, before the Kohen declares that the wound is healed and it's time for him to come back, he has already begun the process of coming back. You know, it's like a person with an addiction, which really there's a lot of parallels between the Mitzorah and his addictive lifestyle and the rehab he has to go through. But a person who's addicted, the day that they check themselves into rehab, they've already become pure. They haven't even started the hard work. They haven't even started yet. Going through sessions and therapy and cold turkey from their addiction. But it doesn't matter. The day they admit themselves is Yom Taharaso. That's the beginning of the process of getting better. And that's what the Kliyakar is saying over here. It's the admission of the Mitzorah that they need help. That is the beginning of Yom Taharaso. Which answers all of his questions. V'huva. 
he's brought to the Kohen, he's brought by his life experience to the Kohen, but Vyatsa Kohen, but physically the Kohen has to go out to him. That's why he's able to say that, even though the Kohen has not yet declared it. And that's why at the same time he could be a Mitzorah, he still has the illness, but he's already purified in the sense that he's admitted himself, and the day that he's admitted himself makes the admission and admitted himself is the day that is the beginning of his process of coming back. One last thing, Rabbi Soloveitchik, because as you know, it's not a Parsha class without a good Rabbi Soloveitchik. So Rabbi Soloveitchik says the following, in the fantastic, once you all buy, everyone's asking me every week the name of the Chumash, once you all buy it, I can't quote from it anymore because you can read it on your own. I shouldn't tell you the name. He says the following, when we explore the Parsha, we find a peculiar phenomenon. The Kohen here assumes the role of diagnostician and nurse. Only the Kohen has the right to pronounce the sick person clean or unclean. This is a task the Kohen would not normally be expected to perform, given the lengths he must go to avoid impurity. Why is this job assigned to the Kohen? Furthermore, there are many forms of impurity in the Torah. Anyone with required knowledge can help with purification. But Saras is assigned to the Kohen. So the Kohen is the most spiritual holy person. The Kohen can't even impure, become impure to anyone other than his immediate relatives. Can't go to a, a funeral. So why is it the Kohen? We're denigrating in the Kohen by assigning the Kohen this task of checking out blisters and blemishes and white hairs. And the Kohen, we take him away from his important spiritual work to do this? Why the Kohen? So the Rav says the following. Let's analyze the situation of the Mitzvah and the treatment of leprosy. The phobia related to leprosy in olden times is similar to the phobia of modern malignancy. The greatest fear was the fear of discovery. One took sick and the outward symptoms caused others to suspect he had leprosy. Immediately the sick man lost his dignity. He became isolated from the community. People were afraid to associate with him or even greet him. He was often killed or at least driven out of town. From time to time he was offered a meager supply of food, thrown to him like food thrown to a dog. He was treated harshly for the sin of having contracted the disease. What's the Jewish approach? The first thing the Torah demands is to bring the Kohen. The leper was thus instantly removed from mob psychosis. The Kohen diagnosed and pronounced the Tumah as Tzaras, but the leper was not subsequently cut off from society. He was in communication with the Kohen as one of the heads of the community. In fact, the Mitzorah could request being seen by the Kohen Gadol himself, a man who was not permitted to attend the funeral of his closest relatives. But yet, if summoned, the Kohen Gadol had to go to the leper. The Torah legislated to prevent the loss of human dignity. The coin went with the leper outside the camp to demonstrate that he was his friend. The leper was isolated from everyone except the leaders of the camp, who must do everything possible to heal him and bring him back to society. The coin assures the man, you are needed, you will get well, you will return to society. The coin acts for the needs of the people. The message of Parshas Mitzorah says the Rav is that even someone who holds the exalted office of Kahuna must not abandon his fellow Jew. He must have compassion for everyone even someone as dangerously ill as the leper. Not only the Kohen, but the prophet as well, was charged with the role of being a friend. So the Rav says it's not a function of the Mitzorah, but this is a critical element of Jewish leadership. To be a Kohen doesn't mean you're in an ivory tower, isolated apart from the people, particularly those who are suffering. I think there's a strong message here. You know, I know as a rabbi, I struggle. People come to you and they reveal and they confess all kinds of things, and you know, you're tempted to enter into a world of judgment. How could you do that? You're a low life. Do you have no self-control? Don't you know how you hurt the people around you? What's the matter? Where's your loyalty to the Jewish people, to Allah, to Mesorah? But the leader sometimes has to suspend their judgment because in order to be effective and supportive and helpful, you have to love people wherever they are and with whatever they are. And your goal is not to be a judge, but to be a source of support and inspiration. And I think this is an exact, a beautiful example of that. The coin doesn't go outside and start to rail against the Mesorah. You lowlife, or as Varfi spoke, you deserve to be out here by yourself, broken out in the skin disease. That's not what the Kohen does. 
the Kohen, you don't understand the message to the Mitzvah, says the Rav, he's isolated from everybody. He, they think it's contagious. Nobody wants near him. And yet, the Kohen and the Kohen Gadol go to spend time with him. It sends a message that the person is not absolutely expelled from the community. The leader has to, without judgment, go show support and love and uplift and inspire and rehabilitate. A very, very powerful image. One last comment of the Rav. He says... Here, again, continuing this theme of the Kohen going outside and being contaminated. He says, A single spirit underlies these roles, a strong sense of love, friendship, concern for every person. One of the most important conditions of a valid priestly blessing is that it be done with love. And this condition forms part of the blessing recited prior to performance of this act. The Zohar remarks that a Kohen who feels enmity toward any member of the congregation may not participate in the blessing, and there's a danger if he does. The, the, the Birchas Kohenim, they give the Bracha Bi'ahava. The Barach Zamo Yisrael Bi'ahava. The Kohen has to love people. If they can't love people, if they're filled with judgment of people, they can't give the Kohen the priestly blessing. Judaism recognizes only one authority figure, the Rebbe or teacher. Says the Rav, we have never entrusted our people to politicians or statesmen. According to Yeshayahu, the ideal king in Messianic times will be a great teacher. Talmud looks to his Rebbe with profound reverence and love. Although the Kohenim are teachers and leaders, they are primarily friends who share in the community's sorrows and joys. What a beautiful explanation of what leadership is all about. Wishing everyone a wonderful week. This is the last class before Pesach. Achag kasher v'sameach. Shav a happy, healthy, kosher, wonderful, zisan, whatever expression you want. Pesach. And I look forward to resuming right after Pesach. Rabbi Moskowitz is not giving